You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here um, because we are continuing a series called Structure, and it's all about helping you build the structure in your life so that you can you can like build up the life God's called you to be. Uh, we've been dwelling in one-story houses when God's got a high-rise planned for us, and if you don't get the first story uh, on point, it's going to be very difficult to build what God wants to build in your life, so it's important to deal with that stuff right now. Um, We're talking today specifically about the family unit. We're talking about structure within families today. And um, I invite you, if you haven't yet, um, jump on YouVersion. If you don't have that app, it's called YouVersion. Down at the bottom, there are three little dots. If you click that and click events, you can follow along with the notes from the message. I put the entire notes, not just the highlights. I put everything there. And it's because I want you to be able to tap into that. You can save it and go back and look at it later on the week. Um, but it's a great way for you to follow, especially today, because I have a lot of verses for you today. Um, I mean, my goodness, I could talk to my face was blue, but one word from the Lord, from his word, can change everything for you. And so um, I want you guys to be able to engage with that. How does God expect us to structure our family? I bet we don't think about that whenever we're getting in the process of starting our family. Most times whenever, most times whenever we're um, fixing to get married, like we start dating somebody, it's not because like, wow, I could really build a godly structure with that woman. Usually it's like, whoo, girl, look at her, boy. You know, like it's usually a whole different situation, isn't it? It's much more emotional and physical driven. And, and a lot of times when we're going to start our family, you probably don't think, well, how in the world are we going to structure this according to the way the Lord does it? But, but what does a godly structured family look like? Well, let me give you some instant relief right now, just from the jump. God does not expect perfection from your family, okay? Remember, the Bible says in Psalm 103 that he knows your frame, he remembers your dust, he knows exactly what he got when he signed up for you, he knows what he's dealing with, he knows your past history, he knows the problems within your family, but there isn't a single family in the Bible that God used that didn't have some serious issue. Every family, man. Let's talk about some, Abraham and Sarah. Y'all, Sarah, they were waiting on the promised son to be born. Isaac, right? What happened in fast enough? So you know what Sarah said? Take my servant and go on ahead and have Ishmael. <laughs> Come on, ladies. Like, that's messed up, ain't it? Uh, what about this one? Joseph, his brother sold him into slavery. That's crazy. What about David? David was completely overlooked at the anointing party. Imagine you're David, and you hear that the man of God has come to anoint the next king, and Jesse says to Samuel, this is, these are my sons, and you're still out in the sheepfold. How would that make you feel? What level of rejection would that have instilled inside of your heart in that moment? What about Joseph and Mary? Probably the biggest scandal in the whole Bible. Mary, young girl, angel comes and says, hey, you're going to have the son of God, and it's going to come like a natural kid would. Uh, I don't know if you all know, but back in, they'd be stoned to death over something like that. Yet what happened was, was that she said, Lord, as you say it unto me, let it be so. I think her faithfulness moved in the heart, not only of, of her heart, but in the heart of Joseph to not divorce her and, and push her off or to seek retribution that was in accordance with the law. Could it be that her faithfulness is what inspired Joseph's faithfulness? You may not think so, but God absolutely wants to use your family to move the kingdom. But to do this, we have to be sure that our structures are good, that our structures are godly. Now, God may have worked within broken families within the context of the Bible, but, but that move always started with a family member who was willing to be godly. That's really, really important. Super important. Because every single move in a family that is centered towards God has got to say it's got to start with a person. It's got to start with someone who's willing to do the right thing no matter what. Who's willing to say, as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. Every single family, it took that. And it's going to take that in your family as well. That's why the series. That's why we're, we're, we're bent on helping you develop and build godly structures in your life. Now, there are some structural ground rules that have to be mentioned if we're going to get godly structure right in our family. So let me give you a few of those right here. Here's the first ground rule. Number one, you've got to get the core right. You've got to get the core right. Mark 10, verses 6 through 9 says this. This is Jesus talking. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, that's God's original design for marriage and for family. It's the root unit of a family, a man and a woman. This is the foundational structure for your family. Now, if you're a single parent here, I want you to listen to me. That doesn't mean that there's no hope for you. That doesn't mean that all is lost, but it does mean that this was how God planned things. It was his design. It was a man and woman, a husband and a wife leading the family. That's what God expects. Why? It's important that the father is there along with the mother as well. There are things that the the mother can provide and things that a father will provide. Moms will kiss the boo-boo. Dads will say, you shouldn't have done that to begin with. Come on, fellas. Like, well, if you wouldn't have stuck your finger in the electrical socket, you might not have got shocked, boy. But mom will be like, oh, you know. I don't know. Some of y'all mamas have <laughs> spanked y'all kids around too, huh? I know some of y'all got a wooden spoon in your purse right now. You know what I'm saying? It's all right. But there's going to be a time, for instance, like let's take my son, William. William is a mama's boy, y'all. Y'all know that? Where are my mama's boys at? Come on. Uh-huh. Yep, I, I see y'all. I'm a mama's boy too. But listen, there is a moment, like right now, William just clings to his mom. He needs her more than he needs me. That's the God's honest truth. He needs her more than he needs me right now in his life. But there's going to be a time where that begins to adjust and flip, and he's going to need his dad. He's going to want to come to me. And here's what Satan's going to do is Satan is going to try to put a wedge between me and my boy so that I won't be able to give him what he needs from a father. That's why, dads, it's so important for you to be engaged with your family. I saw a meme this week that kind of hurt my feelings. It said um, it, it, had a, it had a dad with a kid in the grocery store, and then another one was a dad pushing the kid on the swing, and it said a good father. But the mom was doing the same thing, and it just said mom. You see, moms are expected to do those things, and it's a miracle when a dad does those things. Why is that? That's because there has been a planned attack by the enemy to destroy the family unit so that the kids are not being raised with the two parts that they need effectively. But if you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I'm a single parent, I'm a single mom, or I'm a single dad, I don't have that. Listen, God is a God that can create something out of nothing, and he'll take care of the problem if you obey him, if you give it to him. It's not only the man and the woman, but but doing this thing the right way in every aspect. Now, look, I don't mean to step on toes, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. Y'all want me to tell you John 3, 16. Let me tell you this too. Getting married rather than living together. Like, come on, man, get married. Uh, um, Abandoning selfishness and pride so you can deal with some issues. How about this one? Not letting your families of origin dictate your marriage. Some of y'all need to tell your moms, stop interfering in my marriage. And listen, don't put it on your spouse to tell their mother or father-in-law to do that. That's your responsibility. Anytime me and Monique have a problem with my father-in-law sitting here, this is hilarious, but anytime we have a problem with any of our families or something happened that we didn't like or we have an expectation, it's always Monique's responsibility to talk to her family and my responsibility to talk to my family. Okay, because listen, it, it ain't me, Monique, and Wally. It's me, Monique, and Jesus. Wally gets to have input, but he's not the main input in our lives. I'm sorry to pick on you today, Wally. I'm so glad you're here today. <laughs> My parents are in Fort Worth, so I can say what I want to about them today. But, but, but I don't put that on Monique because it's not her responsibility. What about this one? Making sure Jesus really is the center of your marriage. Guys, don't be making decisions that affect the family without consulting your wife. Well, she ain't going to tell me what to do. Oh, really? She's just going to have to deal with the fallout from your mistake? Like, why not let her in on the process? Ladies, the same thing. Well, I just decided we're going to go buy a new car today. Did y'all talk about this? You see what I'm saying? It's like, I, I know people, like my parents, for instance, um, they have a standing rule in their house. If over $200 is being spent, they have a conversation first. Boy, isn't that good? Isn't that some good wisdom right there? That's my money. I work for it. I ain't my, okay, man. I guess you just want to play with bulls all day long is what you want to do. But if you play with the bull, what do you get? That's what you get. Why why is Jesus saying all this stuff? Jesus was quoting Genesis 1 and 2 in Mark 10. Here's why. It's because there's a blessing that comes with God's structure for marriage. Genesis 1, 27 through 28 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. We cannot expect God's blessing when the core isn't right. I don't know why God's not, you know, I don't know why God's not doing this. I don't know why my finances are in shambles. Is the core right? Are you doing all the things he's told you to do? Are you actively making sure that that your life is what it needs to be? Is the core right? I'm talking about structural ground rules. 
The first one is get the core right. The second one is uh, be equally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 15. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What does this mean? Like when you have two oxen pulling a cart, if you have one that's strong and one that's weak, what you going to have? You're going to have a problem. That's what you're going to have. Your cart is not going to go the right direction. Amos 3 says, and we said this last week, how can two walk together unless they agree? How can you have a godly structure in your family without godliness between you two? Well, what do you do if you're in a situation where you are unequally yoked? Where you're chasing after the Lord, but the other person isn't? They just leave them. No, calm down. I knew he was a devil when I saw him. No. I might ask why you said yes, but that's a different story. Okay, you were living a different life then. What do I do if I'm in this situation? Well, number one, honor God above everything else. Um, as it's up to you, live at peace. Don't let your spouse sour your relationship with God. Let your life with Christ shine. It just might be your life lived for Jesus that changes them. Now, let me free some of you from this right here too. It is foolish thinking to think, oh, I can change them. Okay, somebody like that. Um, I had a pastor one time tell a person, praise, I thought that was me. I was like, wow, I'm the guy? Um, it sounded just like mine. That's hilarious. I had a pastor one time tell a person, you must, <laughs> this is bad. He didn't mean it. Like they had a relationship, so don't, like uh, they knew each other. They were friends, so don't take this the wrong way. But he said, you must be stupid if you think that you have the power to change people. Okay, and it's beyond ignorance. Ignorance is just lack of knowledge. Stupidity is like, bro, you know you can't do this. And it's because you don't have the power to change. But guess who does? Jesus has the power. So it's like you can't expect, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm on a uh, evan- dating evangelism. What is it called? Like, no, you don't do that. Well, I'm going to go to the bar and pick up some fella because he just, I, I can change him. No, you can't. Next thing you be, you be, you be, never mind. You know, you get the picture. How about this? Pray for your spouse. Hey, when's the last time before your husband walked out the door, you said, stop, give me your hand, and y'all went to the Lord in prayer? When's the last time that happened? Same thing for you fellas. When's the last time before you went to sleep, rather than looking at TikTok for 30 minutes, come on, I know y'all, you rolled over and you hugged your wife and you said, we're going to pray right now. Do what you can to get them in godly environments. Why are you always listening to Christian music? Because you're a devil. <laughs> now listen, I would, I would never tell somebody to get out of a marriage um, unless there were some biblical reasons. And there are only three biblical reasons for divorce. Okay, there really are. That's in the Bible. There are only three reasons. One of them is adultery. One of them is abuse. And one of them is abandonment. Now you've got to be very careful on how you define abuse and abandonment because well, I just, he just don't like what I say. That's not a reason. You know what I'm saying? But um, like... Every time I talk to him, he calls me names that I would never call anybody else in my whole life. That's a whole different animal, okay? So, but even in the midst of those three, God's heart is always for restoration. So if you've been cheated on, I want you to know that's not God's best for you. It's not God's plan for you. But God has a plan for restoration if both parties are willing to submit. That's the key is in this situation, in a situation like this, both parties have to be willing to come to Jesus on it. Y'all hear what I'm saying? All right, enough about that. Focus on the family. James Dobson said this, how can you follow a master who demands absolute allegiance if you choose to become one flesh with a person who ignores his truth? Dobson takes no prisoners, man. That is a tough, tough word right there. Why is this so important? Here's why. Because you have a purpose. Your spouse has a purpose. But listen, you together have a purpose as well. And plus, you're responsible for the kids that are going to come from that marriage. Okay? Structural ground rules. Here's the last one. This is not a comprehensive list, but three we're talking about today. Be a godly family. Be a godly family. Let me hit you with some verses. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty nine. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. Ooh, some of y'all got some tornadoes at the house. You might want to know if you're troubling your, your, your household. Um, if, if you have learned what buttons to push on your spouse that creates the whirlwind, what are you doing, bro? Like, why are you pushing those buttons? You just must like parasailing or whatever. 
Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Let's read the verses before that. Ephesians 5.22-23, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is, it's himself its Savior. Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents. Yes, and everything. Yes, yes, for this pleases the Lord. Hey, let me give you one more for the wives to their men. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. <laughs> okay, one more for the fellas. Where are my guys at? <laughs> yeah, all right. Proverbs 21.9, it is better to live in the corner of a housetop than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> guys, do not look at your spouse right now. Don't you dare look at them. Head down, pray to the Lord. So what does a godly family do? Honestly, I actually see some physical abuse going on right now. Everybody stop, calm down. Uh, what does a godly family do? Listen, we could spend a whole series talking about what a godly family does, but let's wrap it up and, and kind of put a bow on it with this. A godly family reflects the nature of the kingdom of God in the course of everyday life. That's what the family does. So do that. Now, these are just some ground rules, not comprehensive. Uh, but when it comes to structure in the family, I, I want to highlight some things today in our time remaining that, that will either make or break the structure. Um, now, before we jump into that, though, you've got to understand that if you're not where you need to be with God, you need to get your life right. You cannot expect godliness to flow into your home, especially you men, if godliness is not flowing through you. Men, especially y'all lead the house. That's your role. And so if you are not chasing hard after God and living to do everything you can to honor and please him and to fulfill your purpose, how in the world can you bring that into your family? You set the tone. And if the tone is counter to the sound of heaven, then you're going to miss heaven in your family. What you're sowing is always going to be reaped. So there's three points today that's going to make or break Structure in your family. Here's the first thing. You have to prioritize the right things. Now, not just prioritize some things, but the right things. Improper prioritization just might be the worst thing you can do in your family. The best way for Satan to destroy a generation is to take the fathers away. We've seen that um, since, um, since the dawn of like social welfare, welfare programs. Uh, fatherlessness used to be, what, 72 to 75%. Now it's in the 20s, low 20s. The rate of, of, of families that have parent, like both parents in the home. It's drastic. It's tragic. It's almost as if the government has incentivized singleness, which is insane. But it isn't always absent fathers that aren't present, but also present fathers who are absent. It's the dad that's there but never engages with you and never talks to you. I'm going to tell you what, I know some fathers that work off that are more engaged in their kids' lives than some dads who are stay-at-home. So it's not like you can't engage with your family if you're off having to work, but it does mean that you engage with your family. A dad, um, uh, fellas, there's not a greater legacy that you're ever going to leave than your, your kids. Now, listen, you may be hearing you don't have kids. You have spiritual kids. There's a legacy that can be left there. You know, businesses, hobbies, things come and go. But your family is where your legacy lies. Here's some tips for prioritization. Remember, prioritize, prioritize the right things. Number one, identify the most important things. Identify the most important things. I love this. When you make the wrong things the most important things, the result is the wrong things ruining the most important things. Read it again. When you make the wrong things the most important things, the result is the wrong things ruining the most important things. Now, what are the most important things? That should, be, that should be the next question. Well, how do we determine that? Here's what you do. List out the things that are important in your life. This is this something you want to do this week? Homework. List out the things that are important in your life. And then start putting a line through the things you could live without. Now, listen, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the fact that if you, if you don't have your spouse right now, physically, yes, you could continue living. Because last time I checked, well, they have your heart. They don't actually have your physical heart. Like, you're going to live. <laughs> she tore my heart out. I don't got a heart. Okay, whatever, man. But you could live. Your heart, I'm, I'm not talking about surviving. I'm talking about, would, 
like the, the, you know what I'm talking about, the missing them and stuff like that. What should remain on your list are those things that you couldn't imagine living without. Those are the most, most important things. Now, if you do this this week and you're really stuck, here's what you need to do. You need to get your kids all at the table and you need to say, Will, what's the most important thing in Dada's life? And your kids will jack you up. Mm, your phone. You're always on TikTok. But Will, have you seen TikTok? Like, it's hilarious. <laughs> Calm down, guys. My, a, a device should not be more important than my kid. Let them tell you what they think is the most important and then do some thinking about that. Now, are these things the most important things in God's structure? Well, what are the most important things in God's structure? First and foremost, you and him. You and him, it's the most important thing. Remember, because we said before, if you're nothing with God, you can be nothing for anybody else. So the second is you and your spouse. Yes, your spouse more than your kids. Your kids are secondary to your spouse. You're going to have your spouse for your lifetime. That's the plan. You, but my kids, I have them for a lifetime too. I hear you. But once they get 18 and they start wanting to go do their own things, you're going to become a, 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 a sideline observer and no longer on the field. You go from on the field to coach to the stands. Who are you going to sit in the stands with? Don't you dare get to a place where you spend all your time and effort raising your kids and you look across the table in 18 years and you don't have a clue who's sitting across the table from you. Your spouse is important. And then your kids. But little Timmy needs me. Little Timmy can wait. When you walk in the house, don't look, man, this is going to be tough too because I know you all want to see your kids. But if, you're, if you go, come to your house and, and the first thing you do is spend time with all the little kids and then you go to your wife, switch it up. Switch it up. Just try it. Just try it, guys. Go to your wife first. Greet her. Hug her. Give her a kiss. Tell her how you've missed her all day long and how you've waited all day long to see her. And then dote on the kids. Here's why. Because more than just filling the love tank of your spouse, you're teaching your kids godly structure. And then it's you and everyone else and everything else. The second part is determine the path for your family. Got to have a path. Here's some verses. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make, your, your, make straight your paths. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're talking about paths here. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. I love this passage. It says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, that means you're not following a path that's taking you on wickedness or stands in the way of sinners, meaning you hanging out with them sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the word of God. And on this law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. You see, the word of God is the path we need to be walking our family on. This is why you getting in the word is so incredible incredibly important. It's important. This is one of the reasons why if you're a man in this room and you call Freedom Church your home and you're not a part of our friends group me, you need today before you leave to get with Brandon Browning outside and get involved in our group me chat. Why? Because every single day Bible verses are being thrown into that chat. You're constantly getting the word and then you're getting other guys that are commenting on that. Boy, I saw this happen in my life today. Boy, this is encouraging. Hey, Matt, don't worry about it. We got you, fam. We're going to cover you in prayer. Edgar, we got you, man. That's what happens in this group. You need this. How can you know the path that you're taking your family on if you're not reading the map? So what path is your family on right now? If you could look 10 years into to the future from where you're standing right now, where would your family be? Same old problems, same old situations? Or could you not even imagine how awesome it's going to be because you've chosen to get your family on the right path? If you don't like the path, is it you or is it the map? Is it the right map? And if it is the right map, are you following that map? We talked about Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child on the way he should go. See, this requires you to have a specific path of training you're following. I'll just let little Timmy have whatever he wants. You're about to reap the whirlwind. Because wait until 
that frontal cortex he thinks is developed is not developed yet. All of a sudden now he gets some decision-making processes. And when he turns 14, you can be crying out to the Lord, horns of the altar kind of stuff. Train him up now. What about this, man? I love this in Proverbs 4.26. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Whenever I read this verse, I felt like the Lord said to me in the big title, big caps, don't just react, think, consider. What if instead of opening your big mouth, you shut your, I'm talking to me too, y'all. You shut your big mouth for a half a second and let the Holy Spirit tell you what you should say before you tell your kid that they're worthless and never going to amount to anything. Come on, man. Before you speak a curse that is going to lodge in the soul of your kid for the rest of their life, how about you just take a moment and think about what you're doing here? Is this going to send my kid on the right path or the wrong path? Listen, Johnny. You did the wrong thing, but it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. You're a good boy. You just did a bad thing. Come on, church. That's building godly structure. And if you're not doing that, it is a small tweak. It's going to require you to have some self-control. But guess what? You're the adult in the relationship. The third one is lead your family. Lead them. James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is it? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now listen very clearly. Works are the evidence of faith. Works don't save you, but they show that faith has taken a hold of your heart and life, and now changes are happening because of that faith. The same thing goes for leading your family. Wishful thinking will not create the culture you want to see in your home. Boy, I wish my wife would listen to me. I wish she'd give me some respect. I wish my kids would obey. Well, what are you doing, man? Are you modeling the things that you want to see? You have to model it. You can't just speak it. Yeah, hey, Jeannie, uh, can you get her to obey? It doesn't work like that. (laughs) Talk is cheap, isn't it? People will give you their word and leave you hanging. Action is what it takes, baby. Come on. Toby Keith said it best. A little less talk and a... Come on, you rednecks. I knew it was in you. I bet you're singing in your head right now. I bet Tony going to come up here in a minute and the, the out song he's going to play is little less talk and a lot. Come on, man. Some of y'all think y'all's next step is a two-step. Y'all need to get your life right, which y'all need to do. I like two-stepping. What about some issues like this? My family seems in chaos. Okay, well, is your life in chaos? And I don't mean your family life. Is your individual life in chaos? My family doesn't really engage with God like they should. Are you? I wish my teenager would worship when we're in service. Are you worshiping when you're in service? My kids are twisting off. Have you been investing faith and relationship into them or have extracurricular activities taken center stage in their life? My spouse and I are having problems. Well, first thing, welcome to marriage, okay? It's hard. It's really hard. Come on, some of y'all need to understand that. You're not a failure. Marriage is just hard. Okay, it's advanced relationship. And it requires you to do some things that are frustrating, man. Like the amount of pride you have to swallow, it's insane. And it tastes like apple cider vinegar. I don't care the health benefits, it's disgusting. (laughs) But let me ask you this about your marriage. Are you working at it? Are you asking if you're wrong as much as you're accusing them of being wrong? Are you asking them if you're wrong as much as you're accusing them of being wrong? Have you been willing to meet in the middle? Have you put their needs over your own needs? What about this? Are you watering your own grass or are you drooling over the grass somewhere else? The grass over there ain't better. You just haven't been taking care of yours. God isn't a priority at my house. Well, what you prioritize, your family will produce. So if you don't like the produce, you might want to check the seed you're planting. I'm not trying to be mean to you, but if we're going to talk about godly structure, we've got to talk about godly structure. 
We got to talk about it. We'll take the little mask off and be real. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, I struggle with these things too. Okay. Just yesterday I was like, where's this? I was looking for this envelope. Where's this envelope? Where's this envelope? It was right there in the car. It's not there anymore. Monique's like, I don't know where it is. The kids didn't take another. Where's this envelope? Well, she went back to the house and found the envelope on my desk. Come on guys. Y'all know what this is about to look like, huh? So she calls up to inform me of where ye old envelope was. And I said, is this a I told you so phone call? And she says, well, you were mean to us. And I said, okay, fine. Um, you were right. Are you happy now? Now, guys, that's not how you respond to your spouse, okay? <laughs> what I should have said is, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I brought it in the house. But see, I'm a dummy, y'all. Like, come on, man. Y'all think I'm smart? No, I'm a moron sometimes. She didn't have to call and tell me so either. You know what I'm saying? Like that, come on, man. Like, got to meet in the middle beneath them Georgia pines. You know what I'm saying? We gain a lot of ground because, see, we both give a little. Ain't no road too long if we meet in the middle. (laughs) It is Diamond Rio. (laughs) Somebody's been listening to my motorcycle riding playlist. Stephen Covey says this, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. God says it like this, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, even in that phone conversation yesterday, I could have sought my own priority or I could have sought the kingdom. And what I chose was my own priority because, you know, I'm a human. I'm so glad that wasn't Monique coming in the door. <laughs> If you, thank you. <laughs> Jesus, you said you'd go before me. <laughs> Listen, if you haven't yet, you need to write out a set of core values for your family. Here's some homework. Write out a set of core values for your family. Let those values determine your priority. See, at Freedom Church, we have these, these core values. Jesus is our message. People are our priority. Development is our focus. Unity is our pursuit. Team is our structure. Excellence is our standard. Generosity is our privilege. That's what our core values are. And those core values direct and dictate everything we do. We want to have these core values as the things that are most important to us. And incidentally, at least the first three are actually in order. Jesus will never change as our message. People are always our priority over the program, over the situation. I mean, if I feel like you've been serving too much, I'll call and say, we got you covered. Go to church. Why? Because you're the priority. Development, though, is our focus. We want to pull every bit of God and goodness outside of you so you can walk in your purpose and become everything God created you to be, even if it's outside the church. I remember when Deborah, Pastor Deborah, first came to us, she had a ministry that was inside of her heart that she had waited years and years and years to unpack. And when she got the freedom, all of a sudden she found herself in a place where what God had put inside of her could get some chance to flourish. That's what we're living, breathe for. Why are we doing these things? Why do we act like we act? It's because of those core values. That's why. That's how your family does it. And listen, it'll make discipline easier for you. It'll make discipline because when your kids do something that violate your core values, you can say, listen, this is the thing. That's why every morning before we go to school, we have our daily declaration. Today will be a great day. I will honor God with what I do and say. I will be obedient and respectful. I will do the right thing no matter what. I'll be full of joy trusting in Jesus, my Lord. I will, um, I will oh my goodness, I just forgot the last part. Full of joy trusting in Jesus, my Lord. I will love God and others as he has loved me. I will fulfill my purpose, which begins with what I choose today. This is my declaration. Every morning, my kids say this. I will put it on Facebook. I'll put it on our Facebook family page. Every single day. And so if I get a bad note when we get home, if, if, if some, one of the kids has a bad note, I go back to the core values and I say, listen, here's one of our core values. I will be obedient and respectful. Were you, were you obedient and respectful today? See, it's a way you can help discipline your kids and build godly structure inside of them. That's what we're trying to do. I'm not trying to create, I'm not trying to do for my kids what my parents did or didn't do for me. I'm trying to create godly structure in my kids because there's going to be a day when they got to say yes to Jesus on their own. I can't baby them into the kingdom. Prioritize the right things. The second big, big heading, second big heading is choose who you will serve. 
These are things that can make or break your structure. Choose who you're going to serve. Joshua 25, 15, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have a choice on who you're going to serve. There are lots of choices, and they're all gods of some sort. It's either the one true God, or it's a variety of gods that will fit your sinful cravings. All of these gods, they could be money. They could be your kid. They could be your identity, other people's acceptance of you. But every single one of them is a choice, and it's a God, and you have to choose every day who you're going to serve. You got to choose when your kid comes home and they've done something stupid at school and you got to figure out how you're going to discipline them. You got to choose if you're going to do it God's way or you're just going to let the rage monster eat. Do you hear what I'm saying? In our context today, let me give you two choices, either God's plan for your family or Satan's plan for your family. Well, what's the difference? I I don't have the time today to read it to you, but you need to go look into Deuteronomy 28 and read what the Bible says about how God wants to bless you. This is God's plan for you. It's things like blessings will come and will overtake you. Come on, baby. You running and the blessing of God overtakes you. You're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the field. You're blessed in your going out. You're blessed in your coming in. Your, Your seed is blessed. Your crops are blessed. Your animals are blessed. Your land is blessed. The potatoes under the land are blessed. Every bit of it's blessed. That's God's plan for you. Your marriage is happy and healthy, and you're seeking God and serving God. Your kids are obedient and respectful. Come on, somebody. Let's get that working out. That's God's plan for you. But what is Satan's plan? Here's what it is. What your family has been in the past what your family of origin is, be that broken or poor or addicted or abusers or liars or manipulators, what your evil, what evil has been perpetrated against you is what Satan's plan is for you. He wants you to experience abuse in your childhood so that you become an abuser in your adulthood so you can replicate the cycle. He wants lies spoken over you to breathe life in you. He wants hopelessness to overtake you that makes you think you're never going to change. This is Satan's plan for you. But here's the truth. You are not bound by that anymore because of who Jesus Christ is. Let me give you some biblical evidence. Romans 12, 9 through 12. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of God living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, and here it is, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sin nature urges you to do. If you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and you made him Lord of your life, I want you to know whoever your family was does not have to be who your family is. You get to break the cycle. You get to create a new legacy. Well, I've never had anybody help me with that. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything you need to know. My dad's dad died an alcoholic when my dad was only 10 years old. I don't know how in the world my dad knew how to be such a good dad other than Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit teaching him. So don't think for one second that you're hopeless and all is lost. You get to choose. You get to choose because you're bought with the blood of Jesus. You're led by the Spirit. You walk in not in the curse from the enemy, but you walk in a blessing of God Almighty. How come we don't think like this? We think, well, my dad was a drunk. That's why I'm going to be a drunk. Or I was abused, and that's why I'm mean to people. You don't have to be that. The curse can be broken. And, and, and what defined you up until this moment doesn't have to define you going forward. Amen. You get to choose. The last one is simply this, and I really want to talk specifically to the men on this one, but obviously this is for everyone. Fight. you got to fight. Do you really think Satan is going to sit back and just let you have this awesome godly family? I mean, that's why we've had so many ups and downs when it's come to planting this church. I mean, God has been blessing us. We've had a, a, you know, a lot of people come through. People's lives are being changed and in and, 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 and all facets, in all ages. It's just amazing what God has been doing here. And that's great and that's fine. But, but do we really think that Satan is just going to let us come in here and take Liberty County for Jesus Christ? 
No, he's going to fight. He's going to kick and scream. I don't know if you've learned this yet, but the steps towards godliness that you take, uh, the more disrupting of the kingdom of darkness you get and the more attack from the enemy you get. Oh, it's Christian. I thought Christian was supposed to be okay and happy. No, it's, it's get ready. Every single person that joins our lead team or in some lead situation in our church, we always take a moment and we talk to them about what's going to happen once you take that step into leadership, that you're going to be under attack like you've never felt before. I never knew how many arrows my senior pastor took for me until I became a senior pastor and started taking some arrows myself. And I want you to be encouraged today because while Jesus promised that trials and tribulations and struggles would come, he said, take heart because I've overcome the world. However, you'd better learn how to war in the spirit. Better learn how to fight. Now, war in the spirit, that's one of those churchy sayings. Heads of protection. You know, like, what does that even mean? Well, here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is what we're talking about here. We're talking about warring in the spirit. But how? Okay, you may have been to some churches where they just say, well, you just need to fight in the spirit more. You know, like you need to war in the spirit. And you walk out and go, yeah, I'm going to war in the spirit, man. Woo! How do I do that? Well, how do you do that? So here's what you do. First thing is this, start praying. Start praying. You got to get your mind right. You got to get your mind. And I'm not talking about, Lord, if it, if it please your heart, let little Billy just start minding. No, like, come on, man. It's got to be more intense than that. You, you got to speak life over that kid. You got you to speak things as though they were. It isn't the person, the place, or the thing. It's the enemy. But listen, not every situation is the devil, guys. All right, sometimes I imagine Satan up there to God. He's like, I wasn't even there. Like, I was, I was in China. I wasn't even there. Like, it wasn't me. Sometimes it's your terrible decisions that are causing the havoc that you're experiencing in your life right now. Let's just be real, guys. Sometimes it's your bad decisions. But here's the thing. That's why you need prayer to start this whole process. God will shine light on what's going in you so that you can correct it. But you've got to be willing to start the process with prayer. Don't just react to whatever situation is going on in your life. Seek God in prayer. God, how am I supposed to think about this? Am I wrong? What's going on? I, God, my reaction is to fight this thing. But, but would you tell me what you want me to do? And if, and if, you have, if it's not something you need to correct, you need to go to step two, and that's to get your armor on. you got to get protected. You gotta get protected. You can go and read in Ephesians chapter six about the armor of God, but let me just let me just sum it up. You got the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the loins are going about with truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit in your hand, and the shield of faith. And don't forget, prayer is on the end, so don't worry about that. You gotta get that prayer going too. Okay, so you have all these things. So what what is all this? Like, do I really have to wake up every morning? Lord, I put on a helmet of salvation. Like some people do that. If that's your if that's your routine, knock yourself out. My dad my dad is big about the armor of God. And so a lot of times he'll pray that. But here's what we're talking about. Salvation from where you think. Okay? That means that, that, means that your, your thought processes are sanctified. You're thinking differently. Um, righteousness from where your heart beats. Out of the heart flow the springs of life. So maybe it's a good thing that your heart is acting out righteousness and not the fickle thing that it typically is. Truth from where you reproduce. Your loins, where you reproduce, you want to be sure that in every aspect of your life, you're reproducing truth. Peace from where you're walking. Don't you want to walk into your office tomorrow and there'll be peace there? But maybe you're going to walk in, you're going to experience turmoil and craziness. Maybe that's going to be there, but not when you get there. Because see, you've prayed up. You've warred in the spirit already through the power of prayer. You've gone and put the armor of God on so you're ready for whatever the enemy is going to face you. Faith to endure what's coming against you. The Bible says that the darts from the enemy are stopped by faith. That's why the Bible says resist the enemy and he'll flee. And you've got the word of God, the offensive and defensive weapon. If you, need a, if you need a way to fight the enemy, just find a Bible verse that deals with whatever you're struggling with and recite that verse until you can't even think about it no more. Keep saying that verse. And lastly, power of prayer to keep you focused in the fight. The next one is go on the offensive. We're almost done here. Go on the offensive. Hey, you got to get vocal. Speak the word of God. Speak God's promises. Address the issue. The Bible says in Proverbs 6 that if the enemy gets caught stealing, he's got to repay sevenfold. 
When's the last time you've seen the enemy stealing in your life and you stopped and said, wait a minute, you don't get to do that. I'm bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You got to repay sevenfold. That's what the Bible says. You honor the words of God. Don't worry about what I'm saying. You need to go look at what he said. That's what I'm standing on. When's the last time you do that? Or did you kick the tire and get mad because something happened? Plead the blood over your family. Now listen, those exact words are not in the scripture. But we find in Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, come on, by the, by the new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, having the high priest of the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. That we're pleading the blood of Jesus Christ over our family. You got a kid that's twisted off? Are you? Well, I just, I just don't know what to do about him. You plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Have they made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ? Well, they're not really living it right now. Then let's, let's think about what they've said and the commitment they've made to Jesus. And let's ask Jesus to get involved in that process to help them. Speak that life over them. Speak life over your family. Did you know that death and life are in the power of your tongue? Speak things as if they were. You can't forget that we serve a God who calls things into existence that don't exist. The last one is simply this. Trust God. Remember, you're, you're fighting a war that's spiritual. But we don't fight from a place of defeat. We, we fight from a place of victory knowing that God has won the war. And so you might ask, well, then why in the world are we having to fight to begin with? If he's already won the war, why are we fighting? I'll tell you why. Because Satan is a jerk and he's trying to take everybody down he can with him. That's what's going on. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says this. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Of all of the trust God verses in the Bible, man, this is the one. When you're enduring the heat. And when the drought's upon you and when you feel the attack and when you don't know what to do, when it would be easier to topple over and die, you realize that, wait a minute, I'm a tree planted by the water. My roots go down deep. And even if a drought is upon me, my roots are digging into something, a stream you can't even see. And my stance is sure. I've got good footing on the word of God. And even in the middle of attack, I'm going to bear fruit. The enemy's coming against me, trying to destroy me. And I'm over here popping out apples because he can't can't stop what God's doing in my life. The wind's blowing, trying to topple you over. Y'all, I live in this world too. I know what's going on. I know how the enemy attacks us and the pressures and the pushes and the, and the temptations. I understand all of that stuff. But if we'll be a tree planted by the water, roots going down deep, then all of a sudden we can actually produce what God wants us to produce in our lives. I can't think of a better way to describe what a structure should look like. Solid foundation, firm stance, tapping into the Holy Spirit, the stream, the, the tree planted by the water, living for the Lord, producing what he's called us to produce. But guys, we got to trust him. Trust him in the middle of the fight. Trust him when you think all is lost. You trust him. God, structure is important in your family. It's not enough to just hope for the best. Godly family requires you to evaluate your family. Take some time this week and really look at your family and your structures and how y'all do things, your own little personal quirks and the way your family runs. Think about it. Identify issues. Submit those issues to the Lord. Submit yourself to the Lord. Submit your family to the Lord. Submit to each other. Work at it. Learn structure. Trust the structure. But in you personally, surrender to Jesus. Stop fighting him. Stop kicking against him. Live by the Spirit. Lead with authority and with integrity. Choose faithfulness every day. Model what you want to see in your family. So, so here's my question. It's simply this. How's your family? How's your family? What's the structure look like? I know for a lot of us, it's, it's so easy to look at that structure and see issues and problems, and the easiest thing to do is just slap a piece of sheetrock on it and call it a day. But listen, God wants you to dig into the structure, the, the, the two-by-fours behind the wall, the foundation to figure out what's wrong so it can be corrected. God has bigger plans for your house than what you're living in right now. A bigger reach 
more production, more apples. I don't even like apples. More apples. But it's going to take you doing what it takes. Build that structure. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? And the reason I ask you to do that is just to block out the people around you so you and the Lord can have a moment. As I was putting all this together this week, I really just felt in my spirit that there was a special anointing today for for God to answer specific issues within families. So what I'm asking you to do right now in this moment is that the Holy Spirit would light up a specific issue you're dealing with in your family right now. And I want you to ask God for the solution to that right now. Listen, specific prayers get specific answers. So ask a specific prayer right now. And I simply want you to just ask the Lord, what, you, what do you want me to do? What's my next step to see this thing come to pass? I mean, maybe you just need to be still and know he's God, but maybe God wants you to do something. Maybe you're in here right now and you haven't even said yes to Jesus to be Lord of your life. And you're expecting godly structure in your family, but you've not even surrendered to Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. I'm not going to make you jump through a hoop or run down to the front. Nobody's even looking around right now. But if you need to make Jesus Lord of your life, will you just raise your hand right now? I want to make him Lord. Jesus, and so here's, here's what you do. It's so easy. It's so simple. You simply say this, Jesus, I believe in you. I confess you as Lord. I give you my life. I'm yours from this moment on. Listen to me, if you said that and you believed it and you mean it, God means it. You're saved. This is where the fun begins because now God gets to create in you what it's going to take for you to have the godly structure that you want deep down in your heart. Father, I pray for every person in this room right now, every person in the sound of my voice. God, right now I speak life into every family represented. Whether they're single, married, kids, no kids, I speak life into their families. Life into their situations in the families that seems hopeless. God, I give you, uh, just, uh, just give you the opportunity right now. And church, you're going to have to do this for yourself. Just, I, I give God right now the opportunity to speak into any area of my life right now. If it's a problem with me that's creating issues in my family, God, I will, I will embrace your plan for me in that, in that situation. But God, I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus to come through when it seems hopeless and like all is lost. I'm asking you to come through, Jesus. God, we break the power of our family of origin off of our lives. God, every negative piece that came from where we came from, our families before, God, even who we were before, we break that by the power of your blood, Jesus Christ. You said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we're a new creation and we walk in that promise right now in the name of Jesus. So God, over these families, I speak life to them. I speak new creation over them, Father, and I thank you that you are doing the work that it takes to get them to the structure you want. We thank you for it. Now, lastly, church, I just want you to take a moment and commit to Jesus because the process of building correct structure in your heart and life and in your family is not an easy one, and it typically doesn't happen overnight. But if you will commit to the process, if you will commit to it, you will see the fruit that you want to see in it. God, we thank you for it. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.